Welcome to Coffee and an Interview. I'm Jacqueline Pena, and I'm here today with Benjamin McAfee to discuss the topic of mental health in higher education. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. What about you? I'm caffeinating. <laughs> <laughs> the cup is full. <laughs> um, so, and you have water. So water and coffee go together. Trust me, without water, there's no coffee. Um, <laughs> it's true. But um, when we met, I thought this topic was so important. I was uh, trained as a secondary ed English teacher, which I mentioned earlier. And, um, and I didn't have a lot of training in terms of mental health and working with my students. And then as a faculty member in colleges and universities later on, I didn't quite know what resources or, or how to help students. And I didn't have a big pool to draw from for that, for that knowledge and skills to help them. And in our conversation, I realized that this is something that's very critical every day. And I thought that you had a lot that you could share with us. Um, so with that said, I wanted to thank you for being with me today for a copy and interview and pass it over to you so you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience in this world when it comes to mental health and higher education. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that um, it just kind of happened, right? A little bit about my story is that I never really saw myself being you know, a mental health advocate at all. Um, but what ended up happening was when I was in, I went to Georgetown University to study um, like regional studies, Latin America. So it's sort of like in the foreign service to become a diplomat. And basically while I was at Georgetown, I was experiencing a lot of mental health issues um, and certain symptoms of, I would say, you know, really like different mood swings. Uh, and it wasn't until after I, after I finished my freshman year that over that summer, um, I had a psychotic episode and wow. it took me a while for me to sort of, you know, go back into the school system. I had to take a semester off uh, which was actually very helpful because it allowed me to learn about um, my stressors or, or triggers, mm -hmm. whichever way that, you know, in the, in the mental health world, we're actually moving from saying um, triggers to now stressors. Mm -hmm. um, and so it took a long time for me to sort of learn the ropes. And while mm -hmm. I was, you know, after my semester, I took that semester off and I, you know, got back into school and, you know, I'll talk a little bit about some of the challenges that I face going back into school, especially with like, even with administration, mm -hmm. I still had to wrestle with living with the mental health condition, um, you know, having the right medication and having, you know, horrible side effects and sort of going just through a lot of different things. Uh, I mean, we could literally spend an hour talking about that, but I'll just, you know, shorten it a little mm -hmm. bit so that we can get to like the, the most important points that's in this interview. And um, it was definitely a challenging time, but I did have, thankfully, I did have support from administrators okay. and I had support from my family and I had a lot of support from my friends. And all of that was really helpful. And I was able to graduate 
granted, I took an extra year and I was able to graduate, not necessarily with the highest grade point average, but now that in retrospect, as an undergrad, with everything that I was going through, I'm happy that I was just able to graduate. And then later on, I decided to work. I did a, an AmeriCorps program, I'm working with um, like gay, bisexual, trans youth who oftentimes were undocumented and HIV positive. Oh, wow. And I worked in that field and it was, it was, a, very, it was a very good field, very intense, um, but it was a very good field. I definitely felt like I was making a difference. Um, but it was just a like a year program and then I was looking at jobs afterwards and I saw the Mental Health America. I'm like, oh wow, what is Mental Health America? Like I had no idea what it was. And they were hiring navigators and people um, basically through the Affordable Care Act. It was mm -hmm. like a year for Obamacare. They needed navigators, which actually has been very helpful even in my life now, understanding insurance. And that's been just very helpful. And that's another conversation that we can also bring in um, when we're talking about resources. Mm -hmm. And that's where I realized, oh, people can actually really live with the mental health and advocate and do all of these things. Like, this is really cool. Like, this could be a job of mine. And then from there, I decided that I'm going to pursue, continue pursuing work in mental health, get my master's in public health and that's sort of where um, mental health, focusing on mental health, and that's sort of like where I'm at now. I did graduate, but a lot of my work now is advocacy through the National Alliance on Mental Illness and public speaking and, and coaching, so. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful story. And, and um, you talked about things that I hadn't even thought about in a long time. Um, the challenges when, when you have any kinds of episodes and you're in classes and what does that mean? during the semester, access to medication. I work with so many people who don't have health insurance or can't afford a medication. And, you know, side effects. I mean, if you're trying to succeed in your classes and you have side effects with medication that makes it difficult for you to go to class mm -hmm. or to focus, how do you deal with that? Do you talk to your professor about that? So there's a lot more beyond um, what we normally just think of in terms of uh, the challenges with the what, whatever the mental health concern is and the stressors at the moment, but there's like this ripple effect of other things that come into play. Right. So you were very lucky that you had an amazing support system and you overcame an incredible challenge. Uh, I know that going back to school once you took a break to be able to understand, uh, you know, what was going on and be able to kind of navigate the system and be able to come back. I know you had challenges coming back into the school. What were some of those challenges as a student? Right. So, uh, well, challenges, well, let me talk a little bit about first how I had, what I had to do to come back, right? Which okay. even within itself was somewhat classist. Um, and the reason why I say that is because in order for me to come back into go back into Georgetown, I had to see a psychiatrist, see a therapist, like like at least like once a week I had to see a therapist. Like that was something that I had to do. Uh, I also had to work, I think about 20 hours a week. And I also, I believe, took a class. That wasn't necessary, but I did that to prove that I was able to handle it, which in it, which I mean, I do appreciate the fact in a way that they tried to prepare me um, for me to like go back into the situation because I know I've spoken to some people who had to take the semester off and they kind of 
told them to just, you know, take that semester off, don't really do much and go back into school. And when they went back into school, it wasn't necessarily the best because they hadn't really mm -hmm. tested the waters, right? To mm -hmm. see if they were kind of willing to do that. So um, that was very helpful. Now, when it came to um, the administration, I'm just going to talk a little bit about like that little, like that process. This is what I had to deal with as a student. Yes, please. Um, yes. So I had to go back and I had to do an interview and I got, I got in. So I was super excited. Granted, like I had to prove everything. I had to have letters from psychiatrists, letters from therapists, letters from um, where I worked, which I think was like express men. And I also like volunteered. Um, so I had to say like, I had to have all of these things and I had this interview and then I got accepted into being coming back, going back to Georgetown. Yeah, super excited. But this is, this was a challenge and I don't know how others um, institutions deal with it, but what ended up happening is that I was accepted back, but I, there was never a follow-up, uh, which that in itself was a problem. So they made you go through all of this and to prove that you could come back in. But once you were in again, no one ever reached out to you to say, how are you doing? Is this working? Do you need assistance? Nothing. Like, like the counseling, that, which I think would have been awesome. Um, like the, count, the counselors, they think it's CAPS. It's the center of, I don't know, I don't remember what it was called. They call it CAPS, I think, in most places. And that's just basically where you go to to see counselors. Mm -hmm. um, it's like the office that you go to see multiple counselors and they never, um, you know, outreached. I never got an email from them. Hey, how are you doing? So a lot of the things that I had to go through, I felt alone and thankfully I had um, an amazing dean um, who I would just personally communicate with and she was the one that would push me to, hey, you need to make sure that you're going to see a therapist, that you're taking your medication. And she was a great advocate. Um, but as a student, that's sort of what I had to deal with in terms of the administration. Now, in terms of classes, mm -hmm. what I had to deal with there was definitely a challenge because of a few things. One thing is that, first of all, I didn't know that I had rights as a student. Your student rights and responsibilities or whatever I, I your institution that, calls it. Exactly. I didn't know that I had rights as somebody who lived, as mm -hmm. a mental, lived with a mental illness, right? That's something that many people do not know. And I always push now for accommodations. I talk, whenever I talk to students who are living with some form of mental health condition, I'm like, you need to push for accommodations. You mm -hmm. need to push for accommodations. We can talk about what that is later too. So I didn't know that I had these rights. So whenever I was sleeping in class, potentially like late on assignments. Mm -hmm. I had teachers that were frustrated with me, which is understandable if they don't know what's going on. If I didn't know myself what was going on. Um, and so that was really difficult. So I had to have that same administrator who I love to death Whenever I was going through stuff, I definitely would contact her and then she would contact the teachers and say, this is what's going on. But I, I was never even told, even when I went to the Office of Disability Services, I wish I was told there that, hey, because of this situation, you qualify for maybe extra time, all of these things. 
Mm -hmm. I didn't really know that. So as a student, when I was an undergrad, graduate school is a different story. When I was an undergrad, I really had to deal with a lot of stress that if I would have known that I had certain rights, I probably would have been a lot better off. Um, so I don't know if that really answers your question, but... I think you brought, bring up some good points. There are uh, certain rights and responsibilities that the students have, and it's important for all students to know that. And, uh, and I think a lot of times we fail in sharing that with our students. But in terms of any challenges that our students are facing, their resources, um, I know uh, institutions call it different things, you call it CAS, but there are things that where you can get some uh, additional tutoring, um, there are places where you, you know, you can get a letter that you could provide your instructors. It doesn't have to say what's going on. It just explains what kinds of accommodations you need to be successful, more time on tasks or one-on-one -on -one time, whatever it is. Um, but you bring up a good point about an advocate too. You were lucky. You found an advocate in your dean. Um, but most of our students might not know, might not know where to find an advocate, someone who can help them, guide them for them when needed and uh, and I thought that was an interesting point that you brought up and you had an advocate that really helped you navigate the system and helped you through your classes and your challenges yeah and it was it was definitely helpful and you know they people definitely can go to the caps and you know get letters from like psychiatrists psychologists or therapists about maybe having the extra time just like you said but the issue there is that it's still a classist system, right? So if you're someone mm -hmm. who doesn't really come from, you know, much, I mean, I've never gone hungry, but we, but it definitely, you know, it was definitely a financial strain to, to have not having insurance and, mm -hmm. you know, medicine costing 400, $500 North a month. Plus, you know, psychiatrists, I mean, it was, it was just, it was a lot. I mean, by financial strain, definitely. Um, but that's so that's also a challenge that you may face is that there are students who need those accommodations, but they're not, they may not know mm -hmm. that there are resources, that there are therapists who are sliding scale. Um, and that's, that can definitely be, be helpful for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and more and more programs are coming out for medication, um, for medications that are costly, but it's, um, usually not enough. So how do you handle that? And then in terms of therapy, therapy is very expensive. So trying to get those resources um, to be able to find who are the therapists who work on a sliding scale and um, in my community, and then you have to think about transportation and time. And, and that's again, where that advocate comes in handy, but also the information, you're right. How do we get this information to our students? Exactly. And, and when I was doing like my capstone in graduate school, my focus was college students who face challenges with mental health conditions. And some, some of the studies show that some students or many students don't seek help because there are a whole bunch of barriers. Uh, one of them is self-efficacy in you know, handling their you know, situation. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, which is very fascinating, which is why I'm really passionate about insurance and teaching people about insurance, lack of knowledge of insurance was also a major barrier. So students may have access to insurance, but because they may not understand the nuances, which is, it's really, really challenging. I mean, I was trained 
they may not go and seek help because it's not accessible language. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Uh, is there anything else that you want to share about your experience and what you learned that you could teach us about before we jump into some questions, uh, focus more on advice or ideas? Anything that you feel uh, would be beneficial for any of us in higher education? Yes, of course. So I think um, the number one thing is you know, not to feel ashamed or be ashamed when you to ask for help. That is really, really important. And help can mean many different things. It could be you're going through a really difficult time and you know you want to talk to maybe a friend or someone you trust about it. What you end up learning oftentimes is the stigma of mental health is real, but opening up just a little bit oftentimes a lot of people identify with what you're going through. So just keeping it in when you're going through a lot of, you know, academic challenges can sometimes, you know, not be beneficial and opening up just a little bit. I mean, that was very helpful for me because you, you sort of find a sense of, okay, I'm not alone. Like I shouldn't feel ashamed that I'm going through, you know, some of these challenges. Um, Something is that I learned is be okay, and this may be a little bit controversial, but <laughs> be okay with not getting the best grades if you're going through a crisis. I think that's I think that's really key because if everything you know is is chaos around you, not everything is fine, right? Mm -hmm. um, and be okay with that. I mean, there's that. I, I love that meme. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, it's that dog that says this is fine, and then there's fire like all over oh, them. No. Have you seen that that meme before? It's like it's it's actually really it's a really interesting meme. Um, I love it. But if there is stuff happening around you, you know, where it's fire, there's you know, at times it can be chaotic and this and it's fair, right? Recognize that that's actually happened and don't behave as everything is going to be completely fine. Everything's going to be completely normal. Like no, like act as if there's stuff around you that could be affecting everything and be okay with that, you know, be okay with that. Um, another one, like I said, is, you know, making sure to recognize that you do have rights as a student and to speak up because you may experience um, administrators or teachers who I've seen a lot of, I've seen this happen, thankfully not to me, but to um, some folks and, you know, they oftentimes feel that they can't speak up, but you can speak up. If there is, if you're going to that psychiatrist and the psychiatrist is sort of, you know, not really paying attention to some of your, your symptoms and not believing, which does happen, you can see another psychiatrist. It's, it's possible for you to do that. And um, I think another thing is like, know your limitations. I think that's I think that's probably one of the, the number one things that's been helpful for me is recognizing that I do have limitations and not to push myself too hard because if I end up pushing myself too hard, then it's going to be very difficult for me to function. Um, so I had to learn to figure out what my limitations were. So those are some of the, that's some of my advice that I have. So I think all those things are tough for me. So I could imagine <laughs> for our students. Um, 
I'm putting myself in, in the position of always being a student and, and my own uh, challenges and also thinking about my own students. Um, for example, I might have students who stop showing up to my class and I have to harass them and, and get them to class and then realize that there's a big personal problem that's making things difficult, but they didn't want mm -hmm. to say anything or they didn't know they could. And once we have the conversation, I can make accommodations so that student could succeed. So that, that yeah. thing about speaking up was so important to me and, and getting our teachers to help our students to feel comfortable mm -hmm. speaking up to them or speaking to them. Maybe it's not up to them, but speaking to them, sharing, I'm having a hard time focusing, I'm having a hard time with time management, um, being able, you know, and, and, and maybe they don't want to disclose everything that's going on or why it's happening, but if they could just mm -hmm. speak to the instructor, I think a lot of us would be able to uh, accommodate a bit more. Um, so that's like one uh, bit of advice I think I have for teach for students. I love that. And, but for teachers, um, and I, I, I feel always that I'm a teacher as well, is how do we make it safe for our students to speak to us, create that safe space? And that's, that's, a, that's a very, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> the reason why, why it's, that rings so true. Like I identify with that because sometimes you may you may encounter challenges with with teachers who don't really who who may not believe in that your disability is really affecting your academics like i have definitely seen that before i think the number the number one advice that i would give to a teacher really is to not judge because little things that you say can really affect the way a student behave, how they perceive themselves, and potentially how they're going to do in your class. I mean, I remember I was in grad school. One of my professors was reading the syllabus, and what part of the syllabus says, if you have a disability, you can, you know, get accommodations, blah, 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 blah. And I remember her talking and saying, well, if you have accommodations, and I hope that's not the case, like, oh, oh, okay. So then whenever I went to ask for accommodations, said, hey, this is my situation. I'm going to need accommodations. What the teacher said, was, oh, that's really interesting. You seem like you're grasping the concepts very well. I'm shocked that you require accommodation. Mm. And I was like, wait a minute, what? Like, what? Like, what is happening here? Like, <laughs> what is going on here? And right then and there, I mean, that was just, you know, one experience. But at the same time, it kind of gave me some fear of if I go up to another professor how is that professor going to react? Are they going to see me differently because I do need accommodations? Are they gonna perceive that I am quote unquote slower, right? That I can't handle the coursework, that I don't deserve to be there because I'm not, uh, I would say, I guess, neurotypical, at least what, whatever that means, <laughs> at least their perception of neurotypical. So I think that's like the number one thing is to be 
very welcoming. Try to empathize with the student. So that's probably the number one thing, the number one advice. Another thing that's really important is, is also to respect people's privacy. I think that is very key because you can be very supportive. One example was when I was taking a course, it was, uh, I guess I'm not going to really say the name of the course because I could just, you know, people will know who the- We're going to just say a course, a course. <laughs> taking the, a course and, uh, you know, we require more time and the professor was like, yeah, 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 don't worry about it. Awesome. Like, you know, cool. Like, that's awesome. Why don't you come to- class earlier so that you have more time for the test what's the issue with that other students will see will come in privacy yeah exactly like why are they still you know why are they here early taking it why are they staying out later like that and even though the professor was completely supportive i mean there was no issues there was still that like uh i don't know so I remember having to send her an email and just being like, hey, just you know, kind of did feel somewhat uncomfortable. And then we had our own private room, no issues whatsoever. And I really appreciate how accommodating she was. I mean, it was no problem. So yeah, there might've been, you know, a little hiccup there, but she was very welcoming from the start, right? Um, so it's not, it's not something easy uh for it's 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 sometimes new territory for teachers right sometimes it's completely new territory that may be their first student that requires accommodations right so it's just trying to be welcoming and also i guess learning from like other teachers or even i don't even know because i haven't been a professor i don't even know if they train on these type of things in schools i don't know I can tell you, I, I had very little training in that area. We're talking about 20 years ago, but um, <laughs> but even today, I'm wondering what what do they need? What do our teachers need so that we could provide that support for them in terms of training? And um, and the truth is, we we don't know everything, and we're we're always going to be in situations where we don't have the toolkit to be able to support our students as best as possible. And so um, so this is great advice for us. Uh, who are in the classroom teaching. Great advice for the students you've given so far. Um, I, I know we talked about some resources and, um, and advice for admin as well. Uh, those of us who've been in administrative roles or are in administrative roles and can support our faculty and students, what can we do? And, um, and I wanna hear about some resources um, that you think we could tap into or that we can use and share with each other or with the students anything that you might think is valuable for us to learn? Absolutely. I think the number one thing when it comes to mental health is understanding what mental health is from the get-go. Just an awareness of mental health. I know that seems to be basic, but, you know, teachers are understanding what is depression, right? Mm -hmm. What is bipolar disorder or schizophrenia? Um, and how does that, you know, present in the classroom? People, some people may not know that, and, and there are studies on, on this as well, that if you experience depression or you're experiencing intense depression, there could be memory issues. It's hard for you to concentrate, right? So there's little things like that, that, you know, professor, just, just having that education is just like really, really important. 
resources are exciting though because there's so many different resources out there there is mental health first aid okay if you're happy, i don't know if you have you taken mental health first aid before it's it's basically it's a really really great great course it's kind of like a 101 on mental health and it teaches you about bipolar disorder depression schizophrenia anxiety and like how it presents itself so just a mental health first aid is really, really a great resource. Is that I'm something, all about... Hmm? I'm so sorry. I was going to say, is that something we can find online on our own? Yes, and take you can find own. online. And, and, and um, sometimes it's offered for free, which is really, really great. Many places offer that for free. And, and even if you pay for it, it's not really that expensive. Of, mm-hmm. Well, if... Uh, a university paying for it, it's not super expensive. Okay. Not an individual person, that's a different story. But university, with their funds, they, they, they probably could pay for it. Also, NAMI, mm-hmm. which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, they have so many resources. They have a course on, it's peer-to-peer. Peer-to-peer is great, and that's if you live with a mental illness and somebody else with a mental illness is sort of teaching you about mental illness. Uh, they also have resources for parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have for family members. They have support groups uh, for people who live with mental illness as well for family members, for veterans. I mean, there's so many different uh, resources there that you can tap into. And then they have, which I love, this is what I love the most about the National Alliance on Mental Illness. They have programs called either Ending the Silence or in our own voice. Ending the silence is focused predominantly for education, for higher ed. Um, and you know, I, I, I've done it in colleges, middle schools and high schools and um, treatment centers. And it's really, and also nonprofit organizations. And it's sort of like a brief 101, what is mental health? What is stigma? You know what's the you know the number for the suicide hotline what to do if somebody's experiencing suicidal Mm -hmm. ideations and then typically they have a somebody else it's kind of like first it's like an education like an education piece and there's videos that you see and then afterwards you have a story of a lived experience and that's also really helpful and that's free so that's that's you can tap into that you just have to contact your, uh, I guess, your your NAMI, your mm-hmm. local NAMI. And oftentimes, I mean, they have no problem. I mean, they oftentimes they're finding places to go to. You know, we're always trying to figure out where can we go. Um, because not many people know about the resources that are free. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's pretty cool is Mental Health America. Mental Health America, just their website alone, I would definitely push for, they have screenings. And if you feel like you're going through some form of mental health condition or something's going on, you're experiencing some symptoms and you want to know, there's an initial screening that you can take and then it'll sort of give you an idea of if these are, you know, symptoms of depression or like mania and things like that. So that's pretty, the Mental Health America screening is really helpful. I think another resource that could be helpful, I think, as well, is for 
I guess, colleges to start tapping into, I think I was telling you about it too, like peer specialists. Yes, let's talk, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that, peer specialist. Yes, definitely. So a peer specialist is someone who lives with a mental illness and who's in recovery and is basically helping other people sort of live that life. I, I became a peer specialist um, 10 years after my first psychotic episode. Um, so I've been on that side of, of the world and it's very, very helpful. It's almost like having, I would say, somewhat of a life coach, I would say. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's a service that um, different organizations pay for, the government. Uh, I, know Medic I know in Georgia, Medicaid um, can pay for peer, um, peer specialists. Mm -hmm. And that can also be very helpful because like I said, like I told you before, if I would have had a peer specialist and I was in, in college, I mean, that at least in undergrad, that would have been life-changing for sure. But that's the past. Now I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> now you're a peer specialist helping others. Yeah, <laughs> <That's exactly. cool. laughs> um, as we come to an end, I mean, I learned a lot of great ideas. Just so you know, I'll have um, a lot of these links and information for the podcast and the podcast, the video uh, version, so that people can see the links and, and find them as well easily. Because I think these are some great resources that we can start tapping into. Is there um, any more advice or anything you want to say before we end this amazing interview? It was very informative for me wearing all hats, the student hat, the teacher hat, the admin hat. Is there anything else that you might want to share with us? I think I like the number one thing for students who are experiencing, and I think I said this multiple times, but I'm going to say it again because it was definitely life-changing for me, was getting the proper accommodations. Like that in itself, like I said, was life-changing. I, I mean, like I said, when I was, whenever I was taking that test and I needed extra time, if I would have left whenever, I guess the majority of the students um, left, I mean, I had like two or three pages left completely. I was like, oh no, like, thank God I have an extra 20 minutes and then I ended up getting an A on that, on that test. But imagine if I didn't have those accommodations, I would have gotten, who knows what my score would have been. So that to me is the number one thing is get, on, get accommodations. You know, if you're going through any mental health issue, please speak out, please speak out because people are going through stuff as well. You know, find a therapist if you can, if you can't see if there's a sliding scale um, and just take care of yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. That's another thing, especially if you're overachieving. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be super hard on yourself. It's, it's, it's totally okay um, to not always be the best and, 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 and be okay. And, and, and also it's sort of, um, I, was, I was having a conversation actually yesterday with um, one of my best friends and, you know, we were talking about, I mean, like we, we have to talk about this, this coronavirus because it's affecting the way that, um, you know, people are functioning and students are functioning. I mean, she's like, I, 
She's like, I can't, I'm struggling right now because I need to be in class. Like I can't be online right now. Like this is really difficult and I don't know what's happening. And I was like, listen, a lot of people are going through very similar situations right now as well. Like right now it's chaos. Like this was not expected whatsoever. And it's just happening. And it's just like a bomb blew up, you know? And everybody right now is trying to figure out what that means in their career as a student, you know, as a professional, just in general. And something that I did tell her was that, you know, it's okay right now if you feel sad, right? Don't, you know, don't feel ashamed that you feel sad or you feel some, you know, maybe, you know, minor form of depression. Feel that. You know, don't deny it because if you try to deny it, then later on it will just build up, build up, build up. And then there could be, you could just completely crash and have some form of, you know, mental health breakdown. So it's okay to feel sad right now because a lot of things have, have changed, but don't stay sad. <laughs> like, and don't, don't, don't marinate in that sadness either and find successful ways find ways in order for you to, you know, be able to de-stress and not to be really hard on yourself in a situation such as this. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I feel for students right now that are going through and, and, and teachers as well and professors and administrators that, you know, is basically appended everything and we're all together trying to figure out, you know, what does this mean? And we're trying to make sense of it. And it's okay right now to feel confused, sad, worried, and anxiety. I think that's just going to be normal. And, and, and hopefully, I mean, I'm praying that, you know, soon we can go back, but we, we, we just don't know. And, you know, I laugh. Laugh me for me as my coping mechanism, but I also laugh at how um, chaotic it felt at first, this transition. Um, and, uh, and then I think about the fact that, you know, we've been talking about all these resources and speak to your faculty. And I'm thinking about my online students. So, you know, all my students have been online. I mean, I did transition to remote. I've been teaching online for a semester. But just in general, thinking about students and faculty and admin and the kinds of things we might need to do differently to be able to support all our students, especially our students who might be facing some mental health challenges at the moment and they can go to campus for the resources and they can go to the office where they could get accommodations and just being able to be, um, to be open to ideas, to create safe spaces for those conversations. Um, and I love that you said it's okay. I mean, you made me feel better about the different emotions I felt through this pandemic uh, and with social, with isolation, social distancing, we should really call it physical distancing, <laughs> not, not social because we have technology now to help us a little bit with that. But, um, but it's great. It was, it was, for me, it was helpful to hear that it's okay to be sad and it's okay to feel anxiety. Just don't uh, dwell on it. Try to find some positive routines or some methods to kind of pull through, but to know that it is okay in this process. And I think sometimes we make ourselves feel worse because when we feel a certain way, we don't feel it's okay to feel that way. And if, if we have any mental health um, concerns or challenges or any new stressors, the fact that we feel it's not okay to feel that way makes us feel worse. 
And that's another issue around this mental health uh, conversation. Exactly. And just like, like and, and like I said, just like minor tips, like if you're not really feeling okay and you're just saying like, this happens to me, happens to me often, like I'm not being productive today. I mean, everybody told you <laughs> that, right? I'm not being productive. But I was like, you know what? Today, I'm going to just clean out my room, straight up, you know, organize a couple of things, right? Mm -hmm. And I did that and I felt like, and I felt accomplished. So it's okay to do minor little, little things. If you going to think, if the only thing you have is, you know, you going, you have, you have a therapy appointment today. Let's say you just have one therapy appointment today and you decide that's what's going to be productive for me today. That's totally fine mm -hmm. as well. You know, don't try no, no, don't try to fall behind. Obviously, if you're a student, you know, make sure that you know, you're talking to your professors, make mm -hmm. sure that you're doing what you need to do and letting them know what's happening. But also be okay with productivity being com like somewhat of a minimal thing. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. <laughs> Uh, but these are uh, great tips, great advice um, in general about mental health and higher education, but also um, in looking at our current pandemic and what social distancing and social isolation, how that impacts a lot of our students and, and community members, um, college employees, everyone. We're all we're all affected here. Um, you know, I, I'm extremely grateful. I learned so much. I was taking notes. Uh, notes help me focus, but it's just that there was so much great information and resources. Um, that, that will help me, will help my students, will help my colleagues. Um, I want to, I see you're looking at notes. So before I say anything else, I'm going to see if there's anything else that you really want to get off of those notes to share with us before, before I end up making another cup of coffee. <laughs> okay. And we got, uh, we talked about the peer specialist. You gave us those right. resources. Um, and you did get, help us really look at this from this full angle of our faculty, students, and admin. And I know I didn't mention student affairs, but uh, obviously student affairs or student services, those individuals are key. Those are the folks who are, are help us with our advocacy, our, our advisement, our accommodations, um, yeah. academic support. I mean, they're all these areas. So while we focus on three groups in some of our questioning and there was a lot of great advice and a lot of great ideas for everyone in higher ed in this conversation. Right, exactly. And I think the looking through all of my notes, I think I pretty much hit all the points, but I guess just one thing is to make sure is that if a student doesn't really feel comfortable going to a professor with some of the issues that they have with accommodations mm -hmm. to have potentially that supportive administrator, your dean, like my dean, I didn't have the language of, like I said, of what was going on. And then she would write an email to the professor. You know, this is, she didn't really reveal everything, but she said, this student is going through X, Y, Z. So if you do really feel like a teacher isn't really listening or a professor isn't listening, try to see if there's somebody else, an administrator that you feel comfortable with. Um, to sort of help you navigate that process because it can be very scary. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that advice. And thank you for taking all this time out of your uh, schedule, uh, especially during all the craziness that we've been living in these last uh, few weeks to talk with me here for coffee and an interview and to give us all this advice and all these tools. Um, again, truly appreciate it. 
and um, hopefully we'll be in touch soon. And um, besides that, um, have a wonderful day. Awesome, thank you.